Well, the scripture this morning is the same as it was last week. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Um, Please stand for the reading of God's word. And again this morning, as I was thinking about this, I'm reminded of, of what a miracle it is that I hold in my hand right here. God's word. Just... It's amazing. Um, Everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who who do will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong... Sorry, let me reread that one. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. Do you want to be free from fear of one in authority? Then do what is right, and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath, to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of possible punishment, but also because of conscience. This is also why you pay taxes. For the authorities are God's servants who give their full time to governing. Give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, then honor. The word of the Lord. Thanks, Dean. Um, By the way, welcome home, Linda. And you can bring Ron with you next time. (laughs) Um, uh, This ended up being a two-part sermon. um, So I'm going to kind of briefly touch on the points I touched on last week in case you still have blanks to fill in there. Maybe... You weren't here with us last week. Um, Paul's talking to us about our attitude toward those in authority over us, um, in particular uh, those in government, and um, that our attitude should be one of submission and respect for the authority that he has put in place. And our first point was government established by God And he is sovereign over it. So God has sovereignly chosen to delegate his authority to the institutions of government that exist in our world. And and, and a point that we have to remember is this. God has the ability to accomplish his will in spite of and even through less than godly rulers. And we know... Throughout history, there have been rulers like that. And yet, looking even in the scripture, we see how God used people like 
uh, Pharaoh and Nebuchadnezzar and others that we could we could mention. The second point was governmental authorities are God's servants. God intended for the government to serve people. It is the government is, is to be the place where we pool our resources in order to provide the services we could never provide for ourselves. And government is supposed to make sure that evil does not rule the land. Um, so we know that there will be those in governmental authority who will be held accountable because they've not been faithful to this. Amen? Um, and then governments have a God-given right to punish evil. The, the, the scripture passage that um, we read in here today is, speaking of government, those in authority over us, he does not bear the sword for nothing. They have been given the God-given right to punish evil. That's one of their functions. And then we talked about the Christian's duty to government. What's our duty as followers of Jesus Christ to the government? Well, first of all, we are to be obedient. We're to obey the laws of the land. Now, there is one exception to that rule, and that is this. That whenever the law of the land conflicts with the law of God, then as Christians, we are to obey the law of God and not the law of the land. And we gave some examples of that. The three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when the king had this huge idol built and required that everybody... Have you ever thought about that scene? You know, all these instruments were to sound and everybody was to fall on their face. Just think about that. Everybody's down on the ground and you're standing up. Talk about sticking out like a sore thumb. But the law of the land conflicted with the law of God, didn't it? They could not bow down to idols. There, there will be no other gods before me. They honored God's law. And there are other examples in the scripture that we cited last week in that regard. Then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And we know Jesus was, the, the religious rulers wanted to trick him at one time, and so they gave him a coin and said, hey, do we pay taxes? And he said, whose inscription is on there? And they said, Caesar's. And Jesus said, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and unto God what is God's. And we still must do that in the day and time that we live in. We are to be subject both to God and government. In no way does responsibility to God deny our responsibility to government and, in this case, in this case because they were talking about taxes, our responsibility to pay our share of taxes. If the government uses that tax money for immoral purposes, the people who spend it will have to answer to God for the way they chose to to spend that money. Our responsibility is to be obedient to government in that regard. Which brings us to our next point, And that's where we're going to start today. Our responsibility to government. We are to respect those 
in authority over us. We have a big problem with that in our country. And it started back when I was in junior high and high school. Remember the 60s? Um, you know, uh, there was just this huge movement. Uh, and um, I forget some of the things they said. Well, you question authority or, you know, it would just... We began to see that. And, and uh, the Scripture tells us, in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 17, Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Now, we don't have kings, but we do have those in authority over us, like presidents, governors, mayors. Those are our kings in the day and time we live in. Titus chapter 3, verse 2. Slander no one, be peaceable and considerate, and show true humility toward all men. And that certainly would include those in authority over us. See, there's, there's a principle here that's easy to miss. And perhaps a story will help us. General Douglas MacArthur was one of the top U.S. generals in World War II. But he made the mistake of lipping off to President Harry Truman and Truman fired him. Commenting later on his actions, Truman said that what MacArthur didn't seem to understand was that he had not spoken against Harry Truman the man, but Harry Truman the president. In other words, it was not the person, but the office he should have respected. And it's, it's the same principle that we're talking about here in this passage when it talks about submitting to authorities Showing honor to those who deserve honor, respect to those who deserve respect. We are to honor those in authority over us. And it, it does not mean that we are to like them as men or women. But we are to honor them because of their office, because God put them there. So, I'll I'll probably refer to this again later, but I remember after the last presidential election, um, you know, I, I go on Julie's Facebook page sometimes and seeing Christian acquaintances, some of them friends, who were joining this chorus of, this is not my president. And I was thinking, you're missing something from Scripture right now. Because no president would be in place if God did not allow them to be there. Now, we may not like them as individuals. We may not like their policies. But we have to respect the office. <clears throat> so as the scripture says, give everyone what you owe him. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. If honor, 
than honor. By the way, those of you who are in the military, whether you like someone who had a higher rank than you or not, you still better salute when they come by, right? If you fail to show respect and honor, you just created a problem for yourself, haven't you? Now, I know a great many people who did not think highly of our previous president. And now for them, the shoe is on the other foot. But according to Scripture, the previous president and the present president are there because God put them there. You know, um, from a personal perspective, just because I recognize that our previous president had been put there by God does not mean that I had to agree with his policies. In fact, I did not agree with a great many of his policies. It did not mean that I had to approve of his character. And in fact, there were some things about his character that I did not approve of. But it does mean that I had to be in submission to his authority. Because it's God's authority. And according to verse 2 of this passage, if I resist that authority, then I'm resisting the ordinance of God. And I'm putting myself in the position of being under his judgment. And with the office of president or any other governmental authority, there comes the duty on our part to respect the office, whether we respect the person who holds that office or not. The only time that I cannot submit to their authority is when that clash becomes, uh, that clash arises, that conflict arises between God's law and the law of the land. And by the way, let's broaden our scope a little bit here. I'm disturbed at times by um, our lack of respect for those who are in law, law enforcement. They've been under incredible scrutiny. And I have to tell you, I think that the vast, vast majority of people who serve in those capacities are doing so for the right reasons and are doing the best job they can. I know there, there's bad apples in every, there's bad apples in pastoral ministry. There's bad apples in law, law enforcement, but the vast majority of those men and women, I believe, are out there for the right reason. I'm, I've told Julie, I pray that God will keep people moving into that profession because if I was a, a person thinking about law enforcement in this day and time and the scrutiny that they live under and the criticism, I'd think about changing my plans for the future. I'm just glad there are people out there that are willing to do what they do. And folks, they deserve our respect and support. And then, our, one of our other responsibilities for the government, our next point is pray for those who govern us. <laughs> Boy, it's a lot easier to criticize, isn't it? A lot easier to criticize. And I've done my share, fair share. 
1 Timothy 2, chapter, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, I urge then, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. And I wonder how faithful we are to that scripture. If things might not be different if we've been more faithful to do that. I don't know. I'm not criticizing anyone. But it, it does raise that question in my mind. And folks, we don't just pray for those we like or whose political agenda we agree with or those that belong to the political party that we favor. We pray for all of them. You know, I, I became convicted of this during the administration of President Bill Clinton. God showed me that I had a lot of critical and even derogatory things to say when I should have been praying for the man. And you probably know what I mean. And I'm probably not the only person maybe in this room who asked God to get him out of the way. But God showed me that I needed to be praying for his soul more than for his politics. Our president needs our prayers. Our governor needs our prayers. Our mayor needs our prayers. Our leaders and all their support staff, the legislators and all those in authority over us need our prayers. In our seeking of God's face to heal our land, we need to bring to Him our leaders. Asking God to give them godly wisdom and discernment to make decisions that reflect godly values. We need to pray that God will draw those leaders that don't know Him to Jesus Christ. And strengthen and embolden those leaders who do know Him. I am convinced that there are men and women in positions of authority in our country, especially elected positions, who are called of God. They answered God's call to serve in that way. And I pray for their boldness and I pray for their courage and, and, and I pray that they'll be articulate and convincing when they speak and I pray that they'll have There'll be agents for godly change in our country because we know that we need godly change in our country. And I pray for their souls and I pray for their families and we need to do that. We need to lift our leaders to God. We need to pray for our government, not against it. I don't know how many of you are aware of this, but there's a website out there called presidentialprayerteam.org. And um, it, what it does is it, it gives you insight into uh, particular issues that the president's dealing with right now. There's even a, it even will give you a, a, a schedule that he's got uh, ahead of him. Um, it, it will get, and then it always lists other key governmental leaders that um, you should be praying for on that particular day. And then the, ne- and the next day or week, I can't remember, it's a different set of governmental leaders. Maybe someone from the, usually it's someone from the military branch, the administrative branch, 
the uh, judicial branch and the legislative branch. There's always one, one person representing each of those branches besides the president that you're encouraged to pray for. So I'd encourage you to check that out. Presidentialprayerteam.org Again, specific issues the president is, president is dealing with, his schedule. They give you prayer updates and then other national leaders that we should pray for. And then another responsibility. Get involved in the process. Think of the difference that godly people in power have made. And let me give you a couple of biblical examples. Joseph. Would we even have a Jewish nation today if Joseph hadn't been in a place of power in Egypt? I don't know how... God might have done something different, but it's because Joseph was in Egypt that he was able to bring his family in. They were saved from starvation. They, they grew to a nation. And then eventually God through the exodus freedom from Egyptian bondage. Think about the impact that Daniel had... Um, in, in the Babylonian kingdom. And the list could probably go on and on. Folks, I believe this. I think, uh, and these guys didn't run for office. God kind of, through different means, put them in those positions of power. But I think Christians need to run for office. There was no resounding amen on that. <laughs> I really do. I think, I think historically they're in some there's kind of been this hesitation, you know, that's not an arena that Christians get involved with in. But folks, I think, we're, I think we're seeing the consequences of our failure to be more involved in those places of elected authority. We need godly men and women in those places. And whatever, again, whether it's military or administrative or judicial or legislative, we need godly people in all of those places. And Christians need to have a voice, not only a representative voice, but our own voices heard, our opinions expressed, our concerns expressed. We need to have a voice. And one of the most effective and consistent ways that we can do that is through our vote. And that's another place I think maybe we've not done... I mean, you even see statistics on that, time, on that from time to time that Christians, maybe especially evangelical Christians, I think have had a tendency at time to sit on our hands and say, well, God's will be done when God intended us to have a hand in accomplishing His will through our vote. Your vote is important. Now, we may have all heard these anecdotal things about the power of, of one vote. There are a number of stories out there about the difference one vote makes. But I researched those stories and found out that for the most part, they're not true. Let me give you some examples that you might have heard before. In 1776, one vote gave the United States the English language instead of German. Not true. 
1845, one vote kept Andrew Jackson from impeachment. Not true. In 1875, one vote changed France from a monarchy to a republic. Not true. In 1876, it was one vote that declared Rutherford B. Hayes as the 19th President of the United States. Sorry, not true. Without one vote, it said that that California, Oregon, Texas, and Washington would never have become states. That's not true either. In, in 1923, it was one vote that gave Adolf Hitler leadership of the Nazi party. Actually, there was only one vote cast against him. However, there have been a number of elections in the United States of America, some at the state, some at the national level, won by very narrow margins that would have had a different result if more people eligible to vote had voted. I found in doing my research that there are 52 instances of elections again at both the state and national levels, where the result was decided by less than 1% difference between the winner and loser. Less than 1% difference. Folks, voting is one of our fundamental rights. One that we should cherish. And we need more people to use it. And, and I think we've talked about this in maybe some of our reach, recent elections. Look at the issues and where the candidates stand on the issues. I think sometimes we have a tendency to go down the list and say, well, this is my party, check, 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 check. What are the issues and where do they stand on the issues? I know one thing that that um, when we passed it in Oregon, we had the Oregon Family Council. And every year they put out this big old brochure thing that listed every election in the state. It didn't matter what level it was at. And they, asked, they went out and they did surveys or asked these candidates questions regarding things like where do you stand on abortion and taxation and, and charter schools. And, and the list went on and on and on. So you could look at each candidate and look at where they... And some refused to answer, which told a story to me, but some refused to answer. But you could look at men... And a lot of these you know, elections didn't matter to me because they happened in another part of the state where I had no impact. But when it was happening in Umatilla County, Eastern Oregon, or when it was a government a race for government and legislators and things like that, then I was looking at that and I was looking at where they stood on these different critical issues. We need to consider those things. Listen, folks, vote for issues not for the benefit of your pocketbook because too many people do that. Well, where do they stand on the economy? Here's, here's, Here's how it worked in the Bible. When the nation honored God, the economy was great. Look at the book of Judges sometime. So I, that's the, kind of the least of my concerns. I, I tend to look at 
what I think are issues that are closest to the heart of God. You know, I want to vote to protect life. I want to vote to protect morality. I want to, to allow, I want us to continue to have the freedom of religious expression. I, I, I want to do my best to vote for candidates who uphold biblical values. I want to vote with the character of the candidate in mind. That's a tough one. Because it, it seems like no matter who's running for office now, when they vet them, they find some little niggly thing. Sometimes it's a little niggly thing. Sometimes it's a pretty obvious big uh-oh in their background. And that's what I... That's what I Daniel is one of my favorite characters in the Bible because... And I don't mean this to be trite, but he was so squeaky clean. Really. Think about it. Remember when, you know, the, 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 some of the leadership of the land is jealous of Daniel because he's this Jewish guy and he's got this place of power in, in Babylon. And it's like, what's that about? We've got to find a way to get him out of there. So they do a little vetting. And they looked 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 and they couldn't find a thing. Not one thing. He never messed up. He'd never blown it. He'd never said the wrong thing. He never got involved with a woman. He'd never done any of that stuff. You know what they had to do? They had to get him for doing something right. That's how they got Daniel. I'll tell you what. Let's go trick the king into making a law that says it's illegal to pray to anybody but him. Yeah, that's a good idea. Because we know what Daniel will do. Wow! God, that we would have candidates like that today. Vote for candidates who uphold biblical values. Vote with the character of the candidate in mind. But whatever you do, vote. Listen, we don't have a right to whine or complain or moan or gripe if we haven't exercised our fundamental right to vote, that's the least we can do to be involved in the process as we should be the best citizens there are. Let me show you some quotes. Charles Finney. The time has come that Christians must vote for honest men and take consistent ground in politics or the Lord will curse them. God cannot sustain this free and blessed country which we love and pray for unless the church will take right ground. Politics are a part of religion in such a country as this and Christians must do their duty to country as a part of their duty to God. Wow. Charles Spurgeon. I often hear it said, do not bring religion into politics. This is precisely where it ought to be brought. I would have the cabinet and members of parliament do the work of the nation as before the Lord. And I would have the nation, either in making war or peace, consider the matter by the light of righteousness. We have had enough clever men without conscience. Now let us see that honest 
Let us see what honest, God-fearing men will do. John Adams, signer of the Declaration of Independence and second president of the United States. It is religion and morality alone which can establish the principles upon which freedom can securely stand. The only foundation of a free constitution is pure virtue. We have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions unbridled by morality and religion. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. In other words, that's the ground upon which our government must be built. Jedediah Morris, who was a, a patriot and the father of American geography, to the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political social happiness which mankind now enjoys. Whenever the pillars of Christianity shall be overthrown, our present republican forms of government and all the blessings which flow from them must fall with them. Folks, I see it happening. William Penn. It is impossible that any people of government should ever prosper where men render not unto God that which is God as well as to Caesar that which is Caesar's. St. Thomas Aquinas. For men to merit good government, they must abstain from sinning because it is as a punishment for sin that by divine permission the impious are allowed to rule. We get what we deserve. That's what he just said. Toynbee, the great historian, of the 22 civilizations I have studied, 19 of them fell, not because of external forces, but because of internal moral decay. Want to see change? Want to see healing and righteousness restored? It begins with us. This is a rather lengthy passage, but I'm going to share it with you anyway. It's from Daniel chapter 9. It's his prayer. And he begins by saying this, I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed. This is Daniel. This is squeaky clean Daniel. I prayed to the Lord and confessed. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant and love with those who love Him and keep His commandments. We, he's, he's including Himself in this, we have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from the commands and laws. We have not listened to Your servants, Your prophets, who spoke in Your name to our kings, our princes, and our ancestors, and to all the people of the land. Lord, You are righteous. But this day we are covered with shame. The people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you. We and our kings, our princesses, our princes and our ancestors are covered with shame, Lord, because we have sinned against you. 
The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against Him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws He gave us through His servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. We could just insert United States of America in there. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. Uh-uh, that's not the end of the passage, but i got to say something right now. I believe that our country has historically because of the foundations that we were built upon, have enjoyed the favor of God. I think, because of the direction we're moving, spiritually and morally, God is withdrawing that favor. Hence, 9-11. Hence, some of the numerous natural disasters we've been experiencing in our country, and the list could go on. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we have sinned against you. You have fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing on us great disaster. God would not be true to himself if he didn't. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us. Yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. 9-11 was a blip on the chart. Right back to the same old thing. You know what scares me? What's it going to take? Just as is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come on us, yet we have not sought the favor of our Lord, of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself the name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. If my people... By the way, I'm going to read that next. But We have done wrong. Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away from your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our ancestors have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act for your sake. My God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. God, that's our prayer. Second Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, 
will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, our God, hear the petitions and prayers of your servant for your sake, Lord. Look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name or the country that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay, because your city and your people bear your name. Amen. 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 And folks, it's not just that confession. It's repentance. We can confess all we want, but if we keep keep doing the same things, it will get us nowhere. Right? It's got to be a change of heart, such a change that we live differently. God help us. God help us. Pray with me. Oh, Father, thank you for your word to us today. Forgive us. Forgive us for our failure to pray. Forgive us for our failure to be involved. Forgive us for our our tendency to be critical and derogatory and disrespectful. Forgive us for our failure to live like we should live. We're sometimes a part of the problem. And Lord God, we recognize how blessed we are. I mean, we see problems everywhere we turn, but we still live in the best place on the planet, in the best country on the planet to live. We believe that. We've been blessed over and over again, and yet, Father, as we reflect on the prayer of Daniel, we would have to agree that You will have to quit blessing us if we don't come into obedience to You. We must confess. We must repent. We must return to those things upon which our nation was founded in the first place because, Lord God, we believe, I believe, that we've enjoyed Your favor for those very reasons. And Father, if we do not honor You as a country, we cannot expect You to honor us in any way. God help us. We pray today for our president. We pray for our governor. We pray for our mayor. Oh God, work in the lives of these individuals to bring about Your will for our city, our state, and our country. Lord God, we pray for their salvation. We pray that there would be those around them who would give them godly counsel that they would heed. We pray that You would guide the hearts of those in authority over us. The word, the Scripture says the King Guide the heart of our president. Guide the heart of our mayor. Guide the heart of our governor like a water course. So that Your will is done among us. God, forgive us. God, have mercy on us. God, if You would, withhold judgment from us. Give us another chance. We pray that evil will be overcome. 
and righteousness will prevail. For the sake of Jesus and the kingdom and the future of our nation and the church that's a part of it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.